Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of today's focus. It is Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023. It is currently 9.28 p.m. Central Time. And yes, I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And the reason this is a special episode of the Today's Focus podcast series is because, well, we've already done a Today's Focus. So typically, Today's Focus is supposed to be one episode to give you one thing to focus on for that entire day. But in a way, I, this even though this is another episode, so it's a special episode, we're maintaining, we're still focusing on the same focus for the day, and that is, well, a sermon review. And hopefully, you're excited because whenever I do a sermon review, the reaction should be this. <sighs> However, sometimes the review is more this. A, a little more, more muted. Sometimes my reviews get more this. And I don't have booze, right? I don't have any booze in my sound effects, okay? My sound effects, I, I do not have any booze. I apologize. If I did, I would play some booze because some people hate our sermon reviews, all right? Sometimes my reviews get applause. I, I mean, they always should, but they don't. Sometimes they're kind of muted. They're kind of like, yay. And then sometimes be like, ha, 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 this is going to be funny because he's going to lose his ever living mind. And then sometimes people are like, boo, I hate your sermon reviews. They are trash. I, I understand. You, you never can please everyone. But yes, it's we're going to continue our sermon review. And remember, we're trying to do a lot of things here. And this is what's making this sermon review kind of frustrating, right? We're doing a sermon review because an article was published um, by a Christian website where they basically, how, how, will, how, will he, how, we, how will I say this? They, they didn't just basically, they came straight out and made an accusation against a sermon preached at North Point Community Church this past Sunday. I mean, it wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't like just, they basically said it. They came out and made an accusation. They accused North Point Community Church of having a sermon in which they, this is the claim, that this is what they've, they've said, that North Point Community Church preached a sermon where it was stated that you must basically be a part of a church and attend church in order to be saved. That was the claim. The article then gave us a seven minute and 51 second clip to or, in order to supposedly prove this. We reviewed that seven minute and 51 second clip, uh, I think yesterday. That seven minute and 51 second clip did not prove it. It did, that clip did not come anywhere close to even saying that or even insinuating it. So it made me very upset because here's a Christian website basically making an accusation, at least based on the information they provided, completely bearing false witness. Now, even if they believe it was somewhere else in the sermon, then they should have included that clip, but they did not. It was very frustrating because I can't stand when, when Christian websites just take clips from people's sermons and then make accusations. And in many cases, those accusations are nowhere proven when one goes and listens to the entire sermon. So we reviewed the seven minute and 51 second clip. I said, hey, this is just not fair. This is misrepresentation. This is bearing false witness. But as I always do, whenever we, whenever there's a clip out there, we, we may review the clip, but we always go back and find the entire sermon. Because once again, I just cannot, I know that some of you say, you say this all the time, but I think this is just a philosophy every Christian must adopt. Whenever you see on social media, a sermon clip, and then everyone's just attacking and destroying the person, you need to not, you shouldn't say anything, and you should try to tell everyone, hey, hey, guys, 
Don't we owe it to this person to listen to the full sermon before we say anything? Now, people will say, how dare you say we should listen to a sermon by this pastor? This pastor is a heretic. I look, I don't care. I don't care if they are speaking at the first church of Satan. They deserve to be rightly represented. I don't care how bad their theology is. They deserve to be heard in their full context and then criticized based on what was actually said. We should not bear false witness. We should not slander. We should not misrepresent. As Christians, we we should care about the truth, speak the truth, defend the truth, try to give people the, the benefit of the doubt, and then do everything we can to be fair and accurate in our reporting. That's what that's what we should do. That's what we should attempt to do. And I apologize for that. You're getting uh, FaceTime calls coming in. Hang on. All right. <laughs> I can't stand that happens when I go live. All right. So I've got to put that aside. The the situation is we must be fair. We must be accurate. We just have to do that. And I, I see it too many times. So what I what we I didn't want to necessarily go back and review this entire sermon because I knew there was going to be like all these things that disagreed with, but that, that even makes it more frustrating. One, it's frustrating that the original accusations were not fair and accurate. All right. That'd be, at least the original accusations were not. And then secondly, that I've got to try to do a full review to be fair and accurate. But as I'm doing a full review, I'm going to find more and more things in the original sermon that should have been pointed out that people ignore. It's like, it's just like, so like on one hand, I'm like, hey, guys, you misrepresented this person. On the other hand, I'm like, however, there was about 30 things in the sermon that you should have been (laughs) concerned with. But so it it just makes it uh, so very uh, frustrating. So here was the original claim, just so that you know, and I do apologize for those FaceTime calls coming in. Here was the original uh, claim. Sermon from North Point Community Church today saying that attending church and being part of the body is an essential doctrine and a fundamental of the faith that one must do to be saved. All right. Now, the problem is, again, the seven minute 51 second clip that is provided under there did not in any way, shape or form say that. So we have been reviewing. Now, here's where we are in the sermon. In the sermon, they are quoting from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And they are looking at this section, Matthew chapter 16, starting verse 15. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. You, you everyone knows this passage of scripture. He saith unto them, this is Jesus speaking, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Then verse 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, obviously, we know Matthew 16, verse 18, there is enough controversy and disagreements in church history surrounding this verse that you could probably spend six months trying to go through all of the problems and trying to come up with answers. Their approach, we're getting ready to listen to it again, was, okay, the rock that the church is built upon is not Peter. The rock is basically the confession that Christ... um, that uh, that you are Christ, the son of the living God. It's more upon that truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built upon, okay? No problem. We could, we could get into all of the arguments about that. But then he said, I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, any good Bible student sh- should start asking some questions. Well, wait a minute. He will build his church? Is that a institution and a, 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 a community of believers on this earth? Or is this a spiritual body that all believers are a part of? Because if you say he built a church, well, then that's an institution. So should we have one church? But we have many churches. 
So some people say, no, 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 he's building the invisible body. And then the visible churches, plural, are just manifestations of the invisible body. Well, the only problem is, one, nobody can agree on who's part of the invisible body or not a part of the invisible body. And people can't even agree the visible body, which churches are legit or which churches should be considered false churches. So it, 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 it leads to lots of questions about, so wait a minute. So how, do we have one church or how many churches and and how do we understand the invisible body because because that it's almost like at least in the non-catholic world we we almost need that right because we're like wait Jesus said he will build his church and we don't have one we have thousands of different kinds of churches and ministries and denominations so how do we where do we have the church okay we have this invisible body that if you're a believer, you're a part of. Okay, well, then we're all a part of the church. So is that the church you have to be a part of in order to be saved? Or are you talking about a visible body? Because obviously you would have to be a part of the invisible church because if that's the body of Christ and only believers are a part of it, then you have to be a part of that church in order to be saved. But then nobody can agree exactly who, and you say, well, no, we can agree anyone who's truly a believer is in the invisible body, but we don't really agree on who's really a believer, right? We don't. You say, yes, we do. No, we don't. Because some people say, first, you can lose your salvation. Some people say, well, you got to do A, B, C, D, E. And if you don't, then you were never saved. Some people say, well, you, you, have to, uh, you have to be baptized to be saved. Some people, you can say you can get there by being baptized as a baby. There's all kinds of disagreements. So as, as, as simple as the verse appears, it seems like what 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 is what's going on here and they're not really they I don't know how far they're going to go to answer the question but they haven't really answered many of the questions right now so i just want you to consider like i will build my church which church a visible institution phys- like a an actual body here a community on this earth or is it the invisible body and if it's the invisible body then what does that mean for our if it's the invisible body, it's the spiritual body, then what does it mean for our institutions here on earth? Now, let, let's just jump right back into this. And again, I do apologize for the FaceTime calls. Um, yeah, I wish I thought I had those turned off, but uh, the way I have to be able to broadcast, I have to have certain the software that I use and I don't think it allows for those calls to be muted. So, um, yeah, I do apologize for that. But we'll, we'll find a better solution for that. But so don't get distracted. But I'm probably more distracted than you are by, by it. But let's jump in. Let's do this. And uh, let's see where we can uh, go with all of this. Here we go. Who do you say I am? As if to say, okay, we were talking about the Son of Man and this title, this ultimate authority, and and I want to kind of connect this because I want to know, do you think I'm him? Do you you think that's who I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he's ready, fire, aim. If you know anything about Simon Peter, he answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and he actually got it right this time. And it's like, like, hey, I know who you are. I feel completely confident, and and I'm, I'm willing to just... I'm willing to just go public with this. And this is the first time anybody had declared who Jesus came to represent. He came to represent God as God's son and our king, our final king. And this is the only thing, as we said, that the church has consistently agreed upon in 2,000 years is that Jesus was God's son and he is our king. He's our final king. He's the one we're to surrender to and live our lives according to the way he said he should live our lives. Jesus replied to him though, He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Basically saying, hey, this is an eternal truth. This isn't just logic. This isn't just because of what you saw. This is something that was revealed to you, and it's really, really important. In fact, it's foundationally important. And we stopped here the first first week, but what comes after this is absolutely critical to understanding our next essential. He actually first um, refers to Peter as Simon, Simon, son of Jonah. And when Jesus refers to him, and this is the way it's recorded for us. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you uh, by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, he goes on, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, which this was actually, if you go back in the gospels, this was a nickname that Jesus gave to Peter when, or to Simon when he first met him. 
And, and the word Peter means, or the name Peter means, pet, it's Petros in, in, uh, in the Greek, and it means rock. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, not you, Peter, but on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my gathering, or my church. So what is the rock? Here's the rock. This is a wordplay. He's using Simon's, this nickname he's given Simon. And he says, hey, look, your name is Petros. And like your name, I'm going to build my church on this rock. The rock being the declaration of faith that you just made. The fundamental and foundational nature of your declaration of faith in me as the ultimate authority, as your savior. On this rock, on this sort of faith in me as your ultimate authority, Jesus says. I will build my gathering of followers. And that's how it happened. Now, this is important because we've gotten this wrong before in our history. And some people misunderstand. Jesus didn't replace himself with a person. He could have. He could have decided. And some people take this to mean, oh, Jesus was passing the baton to Peter. But that's not what he did. He made it really clear that I'm passing my baton to a gathering of faith. Okay, a couple of things. One, clearly he's, he's referencing the church here, not as the spiritual body, but as an institution. And he's saying that Jesus is saying he's, he's not passing the baton to a person, quote unquote, a pope. He, I don't know why they just can't say that, all right? I guess they're afraid they're going to offend Catholics. He's clearly, clearly they're like, he's not passing the baton to a person. Therefore, we don't look to Peter as our pope, to a magisterial authority. He's passing it to a gathering, a gathering. Uh, uh, so he, he's referring to an institution, or, or you can use the word community, a church. Now, you could then ask, well, then how much authority does the church have, right? We can get to that. Does the church have more authority than the individual? Does an individual have more authority than the church? Now, this always this leads to all kinds of other theological issues. Not only do we have the issue is, well, wait a minute. If Jesus was going to build a gathering, then why do we have so many different ones that are not connected, not unified, and believe completely and radically different things, right? So did he build a church? It sounds like he built lots of churches with no no connection, no unity, and disagree on everything. Or did he build a church, a spiritual body? Well, then therefore there is unity in the sense that believers are there. We can't identify them. They don't meet, but at least there's just one. Or now he's like, no, 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 no. He He's gave it to a community. He doesn't explain communities, community. He doesn't really explain plural, singular, or anything like that. But then it leads to this question. If Jesus built his church, and if that, does that church have authority? Does it have any authority? Now, on one hand, Christians want to say the church does have authority, but you and I know in practice, it doesn't, right? People join your church and they will leave whenever they want. They will judge you. They'll say, no, no, I'm judging you according to God's word. Yeah, but that pastor that you're judging according to God's word is using the same scripture that you're using, saying that you're wrong. You're saying he's wrong. And guess what you will ultimately do? That church is wrong. That church is false. That church is doing it the wrong way. And then you'll just go to another church that agrees with you. And the whole time, tell yourself you're judging them according to God's word, but both sides are using God's word. And then you go to another church saying the other church is doing it wrong. So does the church have any authority or is it all the people? Now we can say Christ did not pass the baton to a person. Therefore, we reject a pope or a magisterial authority. He passed it to the church. But then we don't really believe the church has the authority because we really act like a group of individuals who then judge the church and we determine if the church is right or if the church is wrong. That's how it plays out in practice. You can say, no, no, that's not the way it should work. It's the way it works. And then even within denominational structure, what happens? They'll be fighting and arguing. And in many cases, they'll split. So no matter all the safety measures you have, it will just, people will just look at the United Methodists right now. Southern Baptists are fighting. No, no, they're not splitting right now, but you just watch, just watch these denominations and how many times they fought and split. How many different times that, well, that group used to be a part of that group and then they split from that group and then that group used to be a part of that group and they split from that group because everyone thinks they're right. 
So where's the authority? Who has the authority? Who has the power? A, a group of people that will join together, characterized and sur- surrounding or, or with at the central essential belief of faith in me as their ultimate authority. And the Apostle Paul, we know this is true because multiple, multiple places, the Apostle Paul clarified this. In fact, in one place, he clarified it with a metaphor. Using a metaphor, people would understand. He said this, the human body, using the body as a metaphor, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. All right, so the body is one, but there are many parts. Now, are those many parts all the different denominations? Well, that wouldn't be, that would be, there was one institution and there's many churches a part of that institution, but that's not the way it is in the non-Catholic world, right? There's not like one Catholic church with many different parishes, many different individual Catholic churches under a diocese. There's no organizational structure in the non-Catholic world. It's just church, 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 church. Are they all parts of the one body? Are you saying there's one spiritual body and then all the individual churches are part of that one body, even though there's no unity among those individual churches? Or are you saying that within each church, there are uh, individual parts of that one body? Like, do you, you try to look at this from a bigger way or a smaller way? Now, obviously when Paul is saying that, he's speaking to the church of Corinth, Right. So is that, hey, in that one individual church, in every individual church, that's one body, right? Now, it still doesn't answer how many churches or what church Jesus built, but at least within an individual church, there's supposed to be one church, that one church, and then there's individual parts to that one church. Okay, maybe that works. And so it is with the body of Christ. He's basically saying, look, the body of Christ has many parts, and he points out that in the same way, it's unnatural and dysfunctional for the human body to be dismembered. I skipped those verses. You're welcome because they're a little gross. In the same way that that's the case, the same is true of the body of Christ. And he, his sort of landing or summary statement is this. He says, look, all of you together, not, not on your own and not separate, all of you together, gathered together, are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. All of you together, the gathering of Christ, you're what's going to represent Christ. Christ passed his baton not to an individual. He passed his baton to a body of believers who exhibit faith by saying, you're the ultimate authority and I'm going to surrender my life to you, not each of us on our own, again, but a collection of people who are gathering together to represent Jesus. This was his plan A for how he was going to build his church. This was his plan A for how he was gonna move the movement forward. This was his plan A for how people would experience him and experience his life. In his book, Connecting, Larry Krabs, one of the best books I've read on the, the value of, of the gathering of the local church. And in his book, Connecting, Larry Krabs says this, why this is so critically important. He says this, he said, the absolute center of what he, God, does to help us change is to reveal himself to us, to give us a taste of what he's really like and to pour his life into us. And a critical element in the revealing process is to place us in a community of people who are enough like him to give us that taste firsthand. Gathering, showing up with one another, showing up for one another is how we encounter Jesus. The reason is, is because the church, fundamental number six, the church is God's agent of transformation personally, culturally, and globally. Now to me, while everyone is fighting uh, about, hey, in this sermon, they say if you don't go to church, basically you're not saved. To me, this is really the bigger issue for me. He, the claim is, hey, the church is essential because it's the agent, agent of change. It's the agent of transformation. It is you being a part of a church that unlocks God's transformative power which seems to assume or at least implies that if you're not part of a church, you do not have access to God's transformative power. So is God's transformative power locked inside a church? Or is God's transformative power, does it operate independently apart from a church? Is God's transformative power connected to his word? 
maybe his spirit? Or is it like you, you don't get that transformative power unless you're going to church every single Sunday? And if that's the key to the transformative power, then are you assuming that everyone who goes to church then should reach a certain level of transformation because they go to church and those who don't go to church cannot reach that same level of transformation because the church is the agent of change? Now, I am not trying to undermine the importance of the church. I just want to make sure we state things in a correct way. Is the church the agent? Hey, it's the church. I need to be transformed. Church. I need to be changed. The church. But what if I don't go to church? Well, you don't don't have access to it. I, I don't know if I can say that. The church is how we experience Jesus. And when we experience Jesus in the body, when the body gathers together, because the body gathering together is the representation of Jesus. Remember, that's who he passed the baton to. And so when we gather in the body, we experience the transformational power of Jesus and we are transformed personally. And as we become more like Jesus and as we're transformed in the community of the body of Christ, we become agents of cultural and global change in the world around us. It's the way Jesus designed it to work. However, as some of you know, in our world, the gathering is swimming upstream a bit. In fact, in more ways than one, and the current's getting stronger. We're now deep into what's known as the information age in our world. And some of you are, are more students of culture than I am, but just, just a, a quick broad uh, sweep. I mean, the information age uh, is characterized, started around the mid 20th century, is characterized primarily uh, by technological advancements in our world and, and in our societies. And these technological advancements have revolutionized efficiency. They've transformed connection in our world and they've fostered individualization. And and all of these can be positive things. And it's done all of these things for better and for worse. And while many of these advancements, you you experience the improvement uh, personally, the way you're able to get more done uh, in less time, the way you're able to stay more connected with more people, the way people are are, are actually able to succeed and launch and develop more uh, businesses on their own, entrepreneurship is at its highest rate in history. I mean, all of these things are positive things. And while many of these have improved our world, they also have some unintended consequences. And we're just beginning to understand what some of those are. And we don't realize what it is uh, when we make something else king. And this has seeped into the church gathering as well. You see, instead of Jesus and the gathering and experiencing Jesus in the body being king, information in our society has become king. And when information is king, isolation is not far behind. And we saw this We've seen this. You've experienced this. Some of you know. Some of you, you've seen this in your kids. Gen Z is statistically, you can do your own research, statistically the most highly connected and yet also the loneliest generation in history. The most highly connected, yet also the the most lonely generation in history. Social media and YouTube and online gaming, it connects people and informs people in unprecedented ways, but it isolates people in unprecedented ways as well. And, and we've seen this. We've seen this throughout our world and we're just beginning to experience the effects of it in our world. But there's a second significant casualty and it's not as documented. It's not as much talked about. It hasn't been as much researched. But when information is king, isolation uh, is not only far behind, but incarnation gets left behind. Now, incarnation might be a a new word for some of you. Incarnation really just means embodied in or taking on flesh. And it's usually attributed to Jesus. Jesus took on, was God, he came and he, the incarnation of God was when Jesus came and he took on flesh in human form. It was God's way of saying, I'm not some far off, impersonal, cosmic dictator that's, that's ruling the world or regulating the world without personal concern for your lives. God came to be with us. In fact, Jesus came to be with us. Emmanuel, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God came to relate and restore and to reconcile and to redeem. And if the physical presence of God wasn't important, come on, Jesus would have stayed in heaven. Why would he have come? Why did he need to come? 
Why would an all-powerful God just not do it some other way? It's because incarnation is important, but it's getting left behind. And Jesus, when he left the earth, he passed the baton to you and to me. And he sent his spirit to empower us collectively, not just individually, but collectively to be his representation, to be his agent of transformation for each other in each other's lives as we speak truth and we encourage and we challenge and we build up one another, but also his agent of transformation culturally, globally. In this age in history, the gathering of the local church, the body of Christ, is the incarnation of God. And we don't realize how significant, how important that is. But there's been this recent cultural shift, not just uh, outside the church, but within the church. And many view the gathering or the attending or the gatherings of the church as non-essential. And and come on, let's just be honest for a minute. I'm just going to push you just a second. Many of us, if you look at our behavior and our activity, many of us view the gathering or attending the gathering, gathering with other believers. We view it, or at least our actions seem to proclaim it as non-essential. Now, this isn't something new. This, this began over a decade ago, but it was accelerated during COVID. In fact, some of you, you remember, you remember this probably all too well. You're like, I'm trying to forget. But, but during COVID, um, all non-essential services shut down. Remember this? So, so only essential services kept, kept going and were gathering, and, and the church stopped gathering in person. And now we know we didn't stop gathering. We continued to gather online, but that wasn't the perception of many outside and inside the church. It's like, oh, this isn't essential. And there was fallout from that. It accelerated something that was already beginning. In fact, the Barna Group did a a study on the state of the church, and and they they did a study that that, uh, looked at trends over a 10-year period. This, This study was done right near the end of 2020. And they were looking at the period from 2010 to 2020 in America, and they discovered that practicing Christians... Christians that attended church and read their Bible and were in Bible study and that were in groups that were active in their faith. They were actively gathering. They were actively a part of a a local church. Practicing Christians dropped from 47% in 2010 to 25% in 2020, almost in half. And in the same period, non-practicing Christians rose from 33% to 43%. And during the same period, uh, non-Christians, people who said they don't affiliate with faith, they shifted from 20% to 32%. I I don't have to leave the chart up long for you to realize things are not trending in the right direction. And by no coincidence, it has to do with people practicing and gathering in the local church. Do you know that for the first time in American history, like other traditions, like the Catholic or Jewish tradition, the first time in American history, non-practicing Christians is greater. In fact, significantly greater than practicing Christians. So after decades of Christians disconnected, if you will, as Paul talked about it, dismembered from the body, not encountering the transformational power of the incarnation of Jesus as people gather together in the local church... Please note, see, all your problems start if you're disconnected from the transformative power. Where do you get the transformative power? You have to go to church. That seems to say here, God has the transformative power, but it's behind a closed door. Well, which church has the transformative power? Do all churches or do some churches? Do have some churches have more transformative power than others? So do you have to find, but so the God's transformative power is locked behind the doors of a church? I don't, I have major issues with this. You could argue sometimes, well, there are benefits going to a local body and you could lay out what those benefits may be. You could also argue all the disadvantages of being a part of a local body because a lot of people's faith has been more negatively impacted, more hurt, more burned out, have water thrown on their fire by being a part of a local assembly than that has ever happened away from it. And I've stated it in my own life. Um, all of my growth of my Christian life is almost all, almost all of it is not because of what happened going to church. It's what happened outside of church. In fact, if I look at some of the things that's happened about being a part of a church, I have been more depressed, discouraged, 
disgruntled, frustrated, uh, basically almost to the point of just saying, forget this. Outside, then my Christian life, I feel, has, has, has been much better than inside. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't benefits about being there, but I just don't know. It. Like It's like, hey, look, everyone's basically walking away from the church. Guys, it's essential. And his selling point is not, hey, if you don't do this, you're not saved. His selling point is you won't be transformed. That seems to be his selling point. After a decade of that, here's where we are. This is how people see Christianity. This is how people see the church. And it's by no coincidence that this has trended with people's view of the church being non-essential. So so the question we're asking is, is is the church essential? Is it essential? I mean, here's the thing. Is Is the gathering of the church is the people attending church, is you showing up where at, a, at a local body and interacting with other believers, is that essential? And how essential is it? I would tell you, because of the way things are trending, it's more essential than ever. And we can't have too many of these churches. In fact, if you're a part of one of our Atlanta area churches and you give to our church, you, don't need, to, you need to know we're not only trying to make, help our church succeed more and help our church be built up and reinforced and investing people in our local communities. We're investing in other churches. We're trying to help other churches start. We're trying to build up other churches. And part of what you give helps us do that, not just across the country and around the world. Even in our local city, we've been investing in local churches because we think it's more essential than ever, ever. And you didn't know this, but you're helping us. And here's what we know, that the church is never going to be perfect. Not all these churches we invest in, our churches won't be imperfect. We're not going to be perfect. And you know why? Because you're here. That's why. And I'm here and we're not perfect, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to be perfect. The the goal is to to, to be, to be continuing to be progressively challenging each other to, to move forward in our lives and following Jesus, to build each other up, to challenge one another. And, and, we do that as we gather together. That's where we experience the transformational power of Jesus. Is church essential? Of course it is. But the next logical question is, with so many people having such an unfavorable view of the church, is the church salvageable? I mean, it, it seems like it's... Yeah, his whole selling point is it's essential to be transformed. If you want to be transformed, you have to be a part of a church. That seems to be the selling point. And then he's like, you know, please support it. Now, look, we can talk about how essential church is. We, we, we can talk about it and we can, we can talk about all the reasons it is essential. I know this. People don't support it. People don't show up. It's going to go away. Now, here, here's what I always say. Most ministries that you benefit from, I can even look in my, my own Christian life. All this, all the ministries I benefited from, I may not have been attending church, but those ministries were being supported or came out of a church. And if that church didn't exist, I would not have been receiving the benefits from that ministry. So I could say I was receiving, I grew because of the church, but not necessarily because of the churches I attended, right? Because some cases, the churches I attended, it tended to, there, oh yeah, there, there tended to be so many problems and difficulties. But, so it is true. Now, this is just true. Um, I think more people have more information, have more available to them. So they may not see their local church as essential, but I know this, you don't go to it, you don't show up and you don't support it financially. It's not going to be there anymore, right? You can, and you can say, well, uh, I'll just listen to podcasts. You don't support those podcasts. They won't be there anymore. It costs money to do ministry, right? I think a lot of people, it, it's become almost like, well, I can just get ministry anywhere so I don't have to support it. And so I think a lot of ministries are having more and more difficulty trying to survive. But we can talk about it's it's a, it, how essential it may or may not be. And I think we could raise some very important points. But I don't like saying, hey, you can't experience Christ and you can't have access to the transformative power unless you're a part of a church. That I don't like. That I have, that sounds very Catholic to me, right? Hey, you need the church because that's where the sacraments are. And what do the sacraments do? They empower, they transform. You, you, you have to have the church to have the sacraments and you need the sacraments in order to basically survive. 
This is the Protestant way of saying, hey, we may not be sacramental, but you don't get the transformative power and you don't experience Christ unless you're at a church. That, to me, it's the Protestant version of the same kind of concept. It's in America, the perception of the church of Christianity is descending so significantly that, that this is a legitimate question. And honestly, I don't have a really good answer to it. So I'm going to let Jesus answer the question. Here's what Jesus said when he said to Peter, look, I'm telling you, Peter, on this rock, your confession, this foundational fundamental confession that I'm the authority and people uh, are, are choosing to submit their life to me on that sort of faith, I'm going to build my church. And here's the thing I want you to know, on that foundation, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades are not going to overcome it. This is Jesus basically going, look, come hell or high water, with the same power that raised me from the dead, I'm going to make my church move forward. And against all odds, in the hellish uh, uh, sort of position and, and cultural conditions of the first century. See, now this comes back to, is that the institution or the spiritual body? If it's the institution, what happens then which inst- are you just saying there's always going to be an institution called the church, but it's not a guarantee that the gates of hell will not overcome churches, right? I mean, which church did Jesus establish that the gates of hell will not prevail against? Was it an institution or was it the spiritual body? Now, if it's the spiritual body, then everyone's a part of that church by salvation, Right? So if I'm a part of the spiritual body, do I then get access? Is that the body I need to be a part of? You keep making it a physical institution. Well, which physical or which, you know, earthly institution, this gathering of believers, which one of them will the gates of hell not prevail against? Well, no, it's not. It, I mean, it may prevail against, there'll, there'll just always be one. Well, which ones are the right ones and which one, which ones are the ones established by Christ and which one are the ones that are not established by Christ? How many ones are there? And what happens if like, well, that one was established by Christ. And then what if that one turns heretical or just falls apart or goes away? Well, did Christ let the gates of hell prevail against? That raises all kinds of questions. It happened. It started amongst the Jewish people and it, and it spread to the Greeks and the Romans. It transformed. It actually toppled and transformed the Roman Empire. It swept across Europe and it shaped the West. It shaped the culture in which we live in now. And, and it happened as those people who claimed faith in Jesus, as they gathered, as they continued to show up for one another and show up in their communities and show up for people around them, expressing the love of Jesus. Showing up was a core essential in the first church, amongst the first believers. In fact, that's why the writer of Hebrews, he encouraged them. He said, look, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I love this word. Don't get off course. Don't veer off course. You need to hold unswervingly, hold steadfast to the direction that we're going, to the hope we profess, keeping keeping focused on that. For he who promised, being Jesus, is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up. This is how you you don't swerve. You be unswervingly. This is how. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. The habit of meeting together. It was a central practice. It was maybe the most important practice of the early Jesus followers. It was not optional. It was not peripheral. It was essential. They saw the gathering of God's people as God's primary vehicle for building up the body and reaching out to people who were outside the body. So, I just. Now, you could argue at that time it would have been even more essential. I mean, there's no way to get around it. People didn't have access to the scriptures, okay? They had to go to church for the scriptures, they didn't have access to religious education of any kind. It's not like they could be home reading or studying anything. The church was the place to learn. The, pl- the church was absolutely essential at that time. Nobody had a copy of the scriptures. They had to go to church to hear it. They had to go to church to have it taught. Some of them couldn't even read. So they, they church was essential. They could hear the word of God read. They could hear the word of God preached and they could hear the word of God taught. Okay. I, I, I got no, I got no, I got no problem with that. 
the issue. And so there it would have been the agent of change in that sense because there would people would. But once everyone got a Bible, then is the transformative power still locked behind the doors of the church or is it now right here in the Word of God? I just want to push you a little bit today. Look, if you've gotten out of the habit of meeting together, it's time to change that habit. This is, this is me. Paul's word, or the, the writer of Hebrews' word is not mine, probably Paul. He, this is me encouraging you. This is me encouraging you that the gathering is essential. It's essential to you experiencing the transformation of God, to you experiencing what God wants you to do in, what he wants to do in your life. It's essential. If you're joining us online, I, I don't want you to feel any guilt. This isn't me like shaming you. I'm just saying there's an opportunity. There's an invitation. I, I, don't, I don't need anything from you, but I want something for you. And the reality is, is gathering with the local church is how God's transformational power gets unlocked in your life. See, he's nowhere implied that those who don't attend are not saved. He's nowhere implied that. Just make it clear. Remember, the original accusation of this sermon was that he taught, if you don't, if you're not, don't go to church, you're not saved. He's not implied that. He's just like, hey, this is where you'll be encountered Christ. This is where you'll be transformed. Hey, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to be able to encounter Christ and I want you to be transformed. You need the church. So he's selling the church because the church is where you get you experience Christ and you get transformed. And in our communities and the world around us, that's why our mission as a church, our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus by engaging them in the life and the mission of the local church. We believe the local church is God's transformational vehicle, God's, God's hope for the world. It's how he's delivering his hope to the world. Engagement in the body of Christ is God's special agent, if you will. It's his God's special agent of transformation for those within the body, for our next door neighbors and for the next generation. It's how he's delivering life and hope and meaning to the world around us. This last year um, at our sixth grade camp, if this was just for our Atlanta area churches, uh, we had 1,133 sixth graders go to camp. Isn't that unbelievable? It's crazy. That was a half-hearted clap. Some of you were thinking, I won't go on my full-blown rant about church camps, okay? I won't. I won't. I have so many negative things to say about church camp, but that's okay. Thinking that sounds like my own personal hell. <laughs> 1,133 sixth graders in one place, but it's amazing. Amazing camp, a bunch of kids showing up, and um, as you can imagine, it's hard to get enough uh, leaders and chaperones and all the people you need to make something like that happen. Our team's amazing. But, you know, some schedules don't line up. We don't have leaders that can go sometimes. So we try to recruit some other people to come in and help us and show up and, 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 and kind of get in the middle of that and substitute for other leaders. And we actually had this crazy thing happen at one of our campuses. Uh, one of our leaders, their car caught on fire like literally on their way to go to camp. And so we, in last minute, we had another leader that we had gotten involved and they weren't gonna be leading a group. And so we got this leader who had been actually a high school leader um, who'd been familiar with our student ministry, background checked, all the responsible things, knew what they were doing. And, and they said that they'd be willing to show up for the weekend. They had time to show up for the weekend and serve with this group and lead the group for the leader who wasn't going to be able to go. And he got connected with this group. And immediately he, he realized like most of the group was connected, but there was this one student that was sort of absent and distant from the group and not really connecting with what was going on. And he just decided to show up and play his part. And he began to connect with this student in, in concert with a lot of other people that were playing their parts, speakers that were there this weekend and coaches and people that were doing activities for the kids and making it fun and people who are doing security to make sure everybody's safe and in the right places and, and staff that are overseeing operations and all these different people that are playing their part. They're showing up because this is the gathering. It's just sixth graders, but it's the gathering of the church for their age, age appropriate, where God, we expect God to show up and work in their lives. And this leader, who wasn't even supposed to be there, showed up and he began to connect with the student. And the student, over the course of the weekend, began to confide in him something he had never confided in anybody else. Not any of his friends, not his actual leader, not his parents. 
he began to confess that he was in a really dark place personally. And he was having some serious suicidal thoughts. And over the course of a lot of discussions, this leader began to help this student experience Jesus in this place, at at this camp, in this environment. Again, alongside lots of other people, he couldn't have done it by himself. But this student had a transformational experience with Jesus. And he began to find hope. And this leader continued to walk with him after the camp and, and he found help and he found healing. Let me ask you, where else can that happen? That only happens in the local church. It happens best in the local church. The transit report from sixth grade camp, it looked like this. 1,133 students attended camp. 300 plus students gave, made a decision to give their life to Christ. They were saved spiritually. And one student, one student was saved physically. And how about all the students in churches across the United States who've been sexually assaulted and sexually abused because of church? How about all the kids who went to church and have committed suicide? Like his, his selling point is the church is essential because where else could this happen? So is it the church that makes it happen or is it the gospel that makes it happen? Now, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to diminish the church. What I'm trying to do is inevitably what he is saying is all of this happens only in a church. It can't happen anywhere else, limiting the transformative power of God, not, or basically taking the transformative power from the scriptures and from the gospel. And putting it in an institution and an institution that has a long history. I mean, just do some research and see what numbers you can find of how many children, how many children, how many people have been sexually assaulted and sexually abused inside churches in the United States of America, say from 1970 to 2023. Just, just look up that number. Just look up that number. Thanks for helping me with that moment. Let me ask you, is the church essential? I know this. What I can't stand is he took someone's serious situation and then had to share it with mood music in the background. Like, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Hey, hey, it's like it's almost like the band knew exactly when to start playing the music softly in the background. They knew exactly. Oh, here comes the sad story. Cue music now. Like, I, I'm not a fan of that whole thing. Come on. Let, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Ask this student right here. Ask his mom. Is the church essential? Oh, yeah. When we show up, when you show up for each other, for each other's families, when you show up and just, even when you don't know what your part is, Scripture says you're a part of the body. When you show up, it matters. When you show up, you fulfill your role as part of the body. God uses other people in the body, to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to build one another up when we can't do it on our own. He knew we would need each other, and so he didn't leave it up to one person. He passed the baton to a gathering because active gatherings of believers activate God's transformational power in our world, and miraculous things happen in our lives and the lives of those around us. When we gather and each one plays our part, marriages are transformed. God, through his spirit, restores families. Hearts are mended. Addictions are broken. Purpose is realized. Life. Going to church just basically makes your life perfect. <laughs> That's basically the selling point. See, if you go to church, your marriage will be restored. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be great. Every, just go to church. 
2,000 years of church history. I mean, so then basically, since the church is the thing that unlocks the transformative power into the world, then don't yell and scream about Netflix or anything else. The, the reason the culture hasn't been transformed is because the church is not doing its job. Well, wait, if the church is not doing its job, well, then where, wait, if the, then nobody can be transformed because transformation only occurs within the church. So if the church is the one that transforms the culture, then if the culture is not transformed, don't blame the culture, blame the church. So then should we not be blaming the church? But you're telling me the church is where the transformative power is unlocked into the individual and into the culture. So I don't know how it works. Does the cult, do we transform the culture? And if the culture is not transformed, then we blame the culture. Why would we blame the culture? Blame the church. So instead of boycotting and yelling and screaming, we should be yelling at churches for not doing their job and how so the church can control the amount of transformative power that is unleashed? I, I, I don't know how this all works. Lives are rescued forever, forever. Choosing to show up and engage in the life and mission of the church can make all the difference for you and for somebody else around you. It has made all the difference for so many and it will continue to make all the difference in our lives and the lives of those around us because, because the church, this is fundamental. The church is God's agent of transformation personally, culturally, and globally. So, come on, let's make it a habit. Let's make it a habit of showing up for each other on Sundays, but not just on Sundays, on Monday through Saturday, throughout the week in homes, and on Sunday afternoons with students. Let's make it a habit of continuing to show up for our next door neighbors and the next generation. Let's show up for each other. And I believe each of us will experience the transformation that God has for us. And maybe, just maybe, people's view of Christians, at least in our communities, will be transformed as well. Let me pray for you. Have it. First, the accusations made against the sermon are fraudulent, false misrepresentation, and is complete bearing false witness. Second, this sermon brings up issues about the essential nature of the church and what it does or doesn't do, and then who should or shouldn't be blamed and why it does or doesn't work. And it completely ignored all the horrific things that have happened in the church, in throughout church history, horrible things done in the name of Jesus by churches, things churches have supported and things that's happened within churches. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to leave it there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Well, I wanted to give them the opportunity to be heard while others were ripping their words out of context. You've now heard the entire sermon. That's from North Point Community Church. It's the sermon preached this last Sunday. It's called God's Special Agent. I wanted you to hear it so that they could be fairly represented. It raised more questions about church than it answered. And it seems like it was more like, hey, church attendance is way down. We got to convince people to be here. And the way we're going to sell it is basically, if you don't come to church, you won't be transformed. But if you do, hey, addictions will be broken. Marriage will be restored. Everything will be better if you just come to church. You can tell me why that kind of message is being preached. Well, because church attendance is down all across the United States of America. So it seems like now we have to sell it. But you can see if you can determine how accurate that is or isn't. And you can tell me where the essential transformative power of God lies. And then when we talk about the church, are we talking about the institution or our spiritual body? And you can work your way through all of that. In the meantime... Well, in this broadcast, <laughs> with me being extremely frustrated because of all the FaceTime calls, I do apologize.
with for that. I will go back and listen. And if I think it's too distracting, of course, I will delete this ish, uh, this episode and redo it if I have to. I don't desire to do that, but I will if I need to. So I apologize for those distractions. Hopefully the questions I have raised will get you to think and focus on some very important questions in regards to the church. And that concludes this special episode of Today's Focus for Tuesday, June the 20th, 2023.